Well, hello and welcome to church. Thanks so much for coming out this week. I want to extend a big welcome to DeMont Wheatfield. I want to extend a welcome to Hebron and online in Jasper County Jail. And I also want to say welcome to Grace Point Church in Valparaiso. We love you guys and we're glad you're joining with us today. And uh, I just love seeing what God is doing through you guys. I want you to know, Grace Point, you have been such a huge blessing and partner to us at First Church. When we were building our Hebron building, your church was so gracious. Pastor Ben was wonderful to us. Justin up there. Justin, your last name is so confusing to me because it's just so many letters that don't seem to belong in the same word together. But Justin Petrowitz, you've been so good to us. Art, we're so thankful um, just for the way that you partnered with us in getting the Hebron building up and going. And uh, man, you guys are joining in for a perfect week because we're starting a brand new series today called Legacy. And uh, I'm really excited about this. Legacy is a meaningful word to me. It's our word for the year as a church. And that trailer that we just watched at the start of this message tells us what a legacy is. It's the sum total of our life, big or small, good or bad, that we leave to future generations. And I think all of us have a desire for our life to mean something after we're gone. And the older we get, the more imminently we feel this. At 37, it's so interesting, or I turn 37 next month, and it's so interesting to me to realize, man, like I don't have as much runway as I thought left, and I'm starting to think about end game stuff. What is the legacy I want to live? leave? This series is all about that. If you want to leave a rich and meaningful legacy for future generations, not just rich financially, but relationally, spiritually, and emotionally, you're going to want to lean into this teaching. What we're going to do today is pretty simple. I think a lot of you have figured out my formula, you know, tell a story. Look at some Bible, make some points. But today I'm spicing it up. Something totally different. I know this is crazy, but what I'm going to do is tell a story, do Bible and points at the same time. What? Oh my goodness. And then give a challenge. It's like, this is crazy. This pastor, you never know what's going to happen with him. But uh, we will be um, going verse by verse through 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 19. You can turn in your Bibles there. If you'd like, we're going to get to it in a moment. Um, But I had a big week this week, momentous event in the Hill family, kind of big deal. One of the big events that happens for families every once in a while, we got a new car. And uh, I feel a little embarrassed having such a nice car, being a pastor. This is the most rust-free car we've ever owned, you know. And the other day, I was jacking up our Suburban. It's getting close to 260,000 miles, and, you know, it's good old Suburban. Uh, And the jack went through the frame, you know. And I thought, that's fine because it's still got the, you know, the side and the top and the other side. You know, who needs the bottom of the frame? I told my wife, though, I said, if the e-brake starts to come on when you're going over bumps, it means she's broken half and just pull over and um, I'll see if I can get some rebar welded in there or whatever. But uh, anyway... I got my wife a beautiful car. It's relatively low miles for us. Lowest miles car that I've ever brought home to her. 174,000, 2002 Buick LeSabre. And this thing is awesome. And I know it's, it's in such good shape. I actually went to the junkyard, got four new tires for it. And uh, I was changing it. And I can jack it up anywhere. It doesn't go through any part of it. You know, I mean, it is mint. If people in town are to just say, hey, you know what? He, it's actually older than it looks. My son named it Golden Pikachu. And I love it. This thing is awesome. It's got all leather seats. None of them are even ripped. The headliner is, you know, extra low, kind of helps me with my hair. And uh, glides on a cloud. Seat six, which is amazing. My whole family, I got four kids, they all fit in there. And you know, with these three-row cars, you put your kids in the back and they can get away with anything. You know what I mean? They know that you can't get to them. They know that this is the kind of like anything goes area. But now, like, I can hit all of them. You know what I mean? Remember this when you were a kid growing up, driving down to be right here and, you know, whatever. And it's like, wow, this is amazing. I kind of like it. We're all close or together in the car. 
It gets like 38 or 30 miles to the gallon because it has that sweet, sweet General Motors 3800 V6 Series 2. You know, those things are bulletproof. And hopefully with fuel savings alone over my Suburban, um, it'll be free to us in two years and gas savings alone because my wife is driving 15,000 miles a year volunteering in Hebron. Plus, here's the thing. When people see a beautiful woman in a beautiful car like that Buick LeSabre limited edition with no rust, they're going to think that man takes care of his wife. You know what I mean? That's what they're going to think. To me, it's like put a big diamond, finger, diamond, diamond ring on my wife's finger. You know, it's like he takes care of her. Like she's taken. You know what I mean? That's what I like about this car for my wife. Feels good. We did pay real money for it. And I'm kind of embarrassed. It's one of the more expensive cars I've ever bought. I paid over two grand for this thing. Now, pre-pandemic, it thing would be 800 bucks. But it's just the, just the way. It's the used car market. Cars have gotten crazy. We all know this. You know, I hear everybody talking about, like, cars, inflation, crazy prices. It's crazy. How much cars cost? Family can't afford them. So the other day, I went, and I just, I was curious. Like, how much have cars gone up in price? So I looked up what our 2003 Chevy Suburban 4x2 LT trim would have cost MSRP when it was new in the fall of 02. And uh, it was $37,050 when it was new. And uh, adjusted for inflation, in today's dollars, that would be the same as $58,430. That's how much my Suburban cost when it was new. I thought, you know, I wonder how much a 2022 Suburban LT 4x2 costs, you know, because I know they've gone up a ton. It's probably crazy. And I looked it up, and it's $58,700, which is really interesting. You know what I mean? Because we all got to find something to complain about. But this tells me a few things. Number one, our lives are actually really good. Because if you consider a 2022 Suburban compared to a 2003 Suburban, it's like, like, it's got like ray guns coming out of its side. I mean, this, this, Suburbans today have like, they got massagers, they got heat. I mean, it's crazy all the stuff they have, you know, I mean, it's just so much better. And secondly, this is a really big deal. I forget what a big deal inflation is. I mean, holy smokes, if I just bury my money underneath my mattress, it, it loses $21,000. In 20 years, like where does it go? It just, it goes away. Because inflation, inflation gets, you know, it can be defined in a lot of different ways. At its core, if we print a whole bunch of money and we don't make stuff, then stuff is going to get more expensive. Just talk to DC about this. You know, we got our daddy Trump bucks and then we got our big Biden bucks, you know, from the stimmy checks. And it just turns out that, you know, if you print all that money and you don't make stuff, stuff's going to get more expensive. It's called inflation, you know, whatever. And uh, I would say that inflation to another extent is the cost of not committing your time to anything. Because time is money, money is time, right? And when you don't commit your time or money to anything, the potential of what it can purchase is decreased. What's crazy is if I didn't buy a Suburban in 2002, instead, let's pretend that I took that Suburban money, the $37,050, and I invested it in an S&P 500 index fund for 20 years, up until today, it would be worth uh, $262,501, which is crazy. You know what I mean? That's like four and a half Suburbans worth today. That's a lot of Suburbans, you know? Could you imagine? It's a whole fleet of Suburbans. It's ridiculous. It's a lot. Now, inflation, I brought in this little chart that I want to use today. Inflation at its core is the purchasing power of your money being diminished over time when you don't commit your money to anything. And this line right here represents total money. Up here is, we'll say, $262,000. Right here is one Suburban's worth of money. And down here, we'll say zero K. And this axis here is time, right? So over the course of time, this is the nominal value. If, my val if the value of my money stayed the same, it would be 58 K here, right? And if I don't commit my money to anything, and I just bury it under my mattress, $37,000 in 2002 would slowly become worth less and less, right? Because of inflation. 
Now, if I committed to the S&P 500, instantly the purchasing power of that money would be gone to me. I, I would give up my freedom, you know, but it would quickly return because I could sell it, but it would go down to zero, you know. And then it, over the course of time, it would slowly become worth more and more, right? I mean, that's just that's the way investment works. Now, money and time do crazy things. And the reason why money gets worth more and more over time is because it compounds. And what people don't realize is our time compounds. Right? And time and money are really the same thing. They represent the same thing. And when you faithfully invest in something that you're committed to, the value really does increase. Because the best things in life come from quality commitment. Quality commitment. Small deposits of faithfulness over a long period of time. And I think what's causing people to miss out on the best things in life today is because of failure to commit. I think we live in a society that has major commitment issues. I think that a lack of commitment is the greatest threat to leaving a good legacy in our culture. Failure to commit causes the potential of our life to ebb away to less and less. The longer you wait to commit your life to something, the less potential there is with your time, right? Because you have less time left on earth. This is just the way that it works. We all know people who have commitment issues. You know the people I'm talking about. People who just flipped from thing to thing, car to car. Job to job, vacation to vacation, career to career, city to city, friend to friend, marriage to marriage, baby mama to baby mama, relationship to relationship. Some of these people are super talented, some are not. What they all have in common is a commitment issue. And on the outside, it looks kind of liberating, doesn't it? I mean, they're free to do whatever they want. They do the things we dream of doing on Instagram, you know, Yosemite, Glacier, Europe, whatever. The problem with these actions is that they miss out on the compounded benefit of quality commitment. Beginnings are fun. New beginnings, starting over is fun. The problem is if you start over and over and over again, you never accrue anything in your life. You don't. This doesn't result in richness. It results in the value of our life ebbing away less and less. If you want to be rich, rich in relationships, rich in love, rich in money, you have to practice quality commitment. And you know, it's so interesting. You know, you see different kinds of people all the time with different earning potential. You know, you see that union laborer you know, humble job, makes 55 grand a year, works his whole life faithful, give, save, and live, you know, and they retire at 65 with 5 million bucks in the bank. You know, and then, and then you see that millwright who makes 100 grand, whatever, bidding for different departments all the time, doing 401k loans, gets a new Raptor every year. This year I'm going to do a Ram Rebel. This year I'm going to do a TRX, you know, and they're broke at 65, renting a house, started a family three times and have nothing because commitment is what's needed to build a legacy. That's the problem. Paul is the greatest pastor of all time, and probably, I would say, the greatest expert on commitments besides Jesus that we have in the Bible. He was a super committed guy. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 19, we're going to go through it verse by verse, but I think Paul outlines three points on commitment that are super helpful. And Paul is the most influential person in human history besides Jesus because of his teachings, his legacy, women and children are valued as more than cattle today. Like, if you're a feminist and you hate the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Paul, the reason you're educated and the reason you're able to speak out on it is because of the teachings of Jesus through Paul, which is kind of cool. Like, that's what he did. It's a matter of historical fact. This guy is incredible. He left an incredible legacy. He did it through commitment. And he tells us how he did it. In 1 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 19, he says, Even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. And here's what he's saying. He's saying commitment means giving up our freedom to get something better. Giving up our freedom to get something better. 
Paul gave up his freedom to bring many to Christ, right? And that's a big deal. This is what this looks like. When you commit to something, you give up all your freedom, but you get it back slowly over the course of time. It, it, it accrues into more and more. Um, I did this when I got married. You know what I mean? Like when I got married, I gave up my freedom for sure. I gave up my freedom to date other women. I gave up my freedom to flirt with other women. I gave up my freedom to buy cars without consulting somebody else first. Definitely something I'm still working on, something I need to remind myself of. Sorry, honey, for the like many more than a dozen times that I've done that. My bad. For that matter, I gave up my freedom to go to the bathroom at home without permission. This is not something that I knew I was going to give up. When I got married, I realized this is something I actually have to ask for permission for because reasons and things. I gave up my freedom to watch shows or just get lost in a book. I gave up my freedom to travel wherever I wanted, whenever I wanted, without consulting someone besides my wife, or consulting someone first. But I got my wife, and she is much better than all those things, like at least 75% of the time. Now, there have been seasons where um, she wasn't better than those things some of the time. And this is what people don't realize. You know, when you make an investment, sometimes it goes up and down, right? And if you quit right here, you're going to say, oh, commitment's terrible, toxic, awful, right? That's the thing about the stock market. That's the thing about commitment to people. That's the thing about commitment to the community. And all the sociological data tells us that in aggregate, long-term commitment to friendships, to community organizations, to churches, to, to clubs, to different things, long-term commitment brings great benefit to our lives. There are a few times where, you know, commitment can bring about toxic things in your life, but by and large, commitment brings about good things in our life. And uh, I always say this, you know, I, I've had people come in my office and they just give me the whole long list of all the bad luck that they've had. I mean, just bad commitment, it's terrible, it's toxic, and I always tell them this, it takes two to be toxic, you know what I mean? And the common denominator in all these things, you know, your parents and your kids and your ex and your other ex and your other ex is you. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's time to take a look in the mirror because maybe it's not that they're all narcissists and socialists or and, and sociopaths. Maybe it's, it's you. But in general, commitment is a good thing. And I will tell you that no commitment is also a commitment to something and it will ebb away the value of your life. And I think that's something that's worth remembering. Commitment means giving up our freedom, but we get something better. Is there any freedom that you're holding on to that's keeping you from enjoying something better? You know, it's fun to be 20 without a care in the world. It's terrible to be 45 without a care in the world because you've wasted the last 25 years of your life. And we all know people, you know, 45, never committed to anything, hasn't committed. It's like, wow, like, dude, what happened? For me, I had a tough time committing to Jesus. And I'm going to be honest. Sometimes Jesus has made my life worse. But I'm not going to quit at the dip because I know as a whole, Jesus is blessing my life greatly. Paul goes on in verse 20. He says, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Now, this is interesting, and we're preaching the grace point this summer or, or today, and you know, I want you guys to know I know how to preach, and this is like a bonus point. This isn't one of Paul's main points. This is just a little, little bonus expository theological blessing I'm going to give to you guys. But um, Paul right here, notice he says, I live like the Jews, and I live like the Jews who lived under Jewish law. And he makes a distinction between both of them. And I think this is something that's worth noting for us because have you ever met a Christian who doesn't like live like a Christian? It's like, why don't you? And Paul's like saying, yeah, yeah, th this happens. There's people who claim to be religious who aren't religious. And as a church, we got to reach all of them, both of them. There's people who live under this law. They're legalistic. They're also not following God. Like, it's interesting. We have to reach all of them. That's great. It's a good point, right? Verse 21, he says, when I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everybody, everyone, doing everything I can 
to say some, like that verse. What he's saying here, and at first this point isn't going to make sense, but then you're going to see it in here. What he's saying here is good commitment asks legacy questions rather than selfish questions. And this really, really matters. Paul is so remarkable because he doesn't just play for himself. He doesn't just ask, what do I want? What do I want to do? What's the benefit for me? He wants to bless people and he wants to make the world better. He's asking legacy questions. And this mindset is so absent for most of us considering what to do with our lives. We ask selfish questions. We come to church and we think, do I like the messages? Do I like the music? The pastor's jeans, skinny enough, whatever. We come into a relationship thinking, do I like how they make me feel? Are they pretty enough? Whatever. We go to a job thinking, do I get good benefits? Do I like the job? Do I like the work? And these questions are fine, but they're terrible when it comes to building a great legacy and making a quality long-term commitment. Those are the wrong questions. Selfish questions are wrong. What does Paul do? He's obviously asking legacy questions. Can I make the world a better place? Am I building an eternity, eternal legacy? And this is so, so important. The reason people make bad commitments, the reason people dedicate their lives to things that leave them feeling empty in the end, is we ask the wrong questions. Good commitment questions build a legacy. Good commitments focus on life 20 years from now, and if you are spiritual like I am because something doesn't come from nothing, you know, obviously God exists, then we're asking eternal questions. Good commitment questions. What you do is you look at the suburban now and you say, you know what, 20 years from now, I'll have four of them and I can give three away if I buy a turd now. That's my equation, at least in my mind. So don't ask, what do I get? Ask, what can I give and what legacy can I leave? That's a legacy question. When it comes to committing to things, like committing to a church, don't ask, do I like it? That's the wrong question to ask. Don't ask, do I like it? Ask, can I change? Eternity's here. Years ago, our church was really good at asking this question, do I like it? You know what, we loved our church. 25 years ago, it was a country club that catered to our personal preferences, and it was awesome. We showed up, and we loved it, and we were shrinking, and we were dying, but we loved it, you know? That's what you do. You, know, you make the church what you like, you know, expository, verse by verse, deep, rich, Bible study, whatever else. But the problem is, that's not a deep, rich church. A deep, rich church does what Jesus tells us to do, which is make disciples of Jesus Christ, all the nations of the earth, Right? And so we started asking this question, can we change eternities here? Because we want to be a deep, rich, disciple-making church, not just something that's shallow and does Bible studies and gives you theological knowledge. We want to go deeper than that. 25 years ago, we changed the question we were asking. Here's the thing. It was hard because for a lot of us, we liked church less. The music wasn't what we had grown up with. The buildings began to change, but we started to leave a legacy of generation after generation. And today, in the last seven years, we've seen over 500 professions of faith. We've seen over a dozen formerly suicidal people choose not to kill themselves after coming to our church. We've seen marriages saved. We've seen grandchildren coming back to the faith. And we realize this legacy question, we might like it less, but when we see the legacy we're building, we like it way more. Grace point, I know God is doing similar things at your church. I know that you guys recognize we want to be a deep, rich, disciple-making church. Jesus tells us to make disciples, so we have to be a place that can change attorneys. Eternities, not attorneys. We don't want to change attorneys. What is it? What is it? Instead of a legacy of a church that died when we died, we're a generational fountain of life that is changing cities one life at a time. And I like that way more. I'm glad we committed to it. I like being a part of a church that is generation after generation. People come and go, pastors come and go, but a church is for the generations. When it comes to a relationship, when it comes to selecting a spouse, and if you've got teenagers, you know, make sure you listen. Teenagers, student leadership team here at this campus sitting in the front row, I want you to listen. This is how you select a spouse, okay? Don't ask, what do I get out of this? Ask, are we willing to commit 
to telling the same great story at the end of this life. That's the rubric by which you select a spouse. This is why I selected Kristen as my wife. You might find this hard. Well, it's not hard to believe that she had a lot of choices. Beautiful woman. She had a lot of choices when it came to men, no doubt. I actually had some choices as well. You might find that hard to believe, but I did. The reason I committed to her was not because of how she made me feel. Pretty girls and handsome guys who make you fall in love are a dime a dozen. That's easy. Falling in love is easy. Leaving a legacy of generations full of life and love. Now that's the trick. That's hard. And the reason I selected Kristen wasn't because of how she made me feel. I would have selected five girls ago if that was my rubric. But I selected her because I asked a legacy question. Are we interested in telling the same great story at the end of this life? Are we committed to that? So I select a spouse that builds a great legacy with you. With jobs. I believe that we bought into the wrong myth. We ask, what do we get out of this? You know, um, our, my parents' generation told all of us millennials, do something that you love. Find the job that you love. That's the wrong question. That's a selfish question. And this is why so many people in my generation are changing careers at 40 years old. I got to go back to school. I got to get whatever. Because we selected a job that we liked rather than a job that would build the legacy that we want. Relationally, spiritually, financially, emotionally. And this is a big deal. When you're selecting a career, ask, is this going to tell the story that I really want to tell at the end of my life? That's how we select a job. That's how we think about the careers that we want. Good commitment questions. Ask legacy-focused questions rather than selfish questions. Now we're getting into the meat and potatoes of the passage. When I first gave my life to Christ, I actually memorized all of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I no longer have it memorized, but there was at one point I could quote every single verse by reference in this passage, and these next two verses are my favorite in the entire chapter. They're powerful. They're transformational. Now, next week, we're actually going to go into the root of this. I got a whole bunch more next week from the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that we can't get to that's going to change it all and be powerful, but we're going to get into the best part of it, and this is what Paul says for his third point. He says, um, I do everything, and everything is everything everything, everything, to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. And his third point on commitment is this. Good commitment means going all out, means going all out. And you know what? We live in a society that hates trying hard. You remember growing up when I was a kid, it was really uncool to put both straps of your backpack on. You remember that? Because trying was for wimps. You'd always walk with one strap on, one strap off, because we wanted to have back problems. You know what I mean? Like, I can't be bothered with putting both straps on. And this is back before Chromebooks you had your science book, your math book, your social studies book, your English book. You put it all in there. You had to buy Jansport backpacks with leather bottoms because if you bought them dollar store ones, the books would rip out the bottom. You know, you remember that happening? Like your book bag would rip out. So you'd have to just, and then you get your Jansport and you put on one shoulder and it's like this and you'd limit me. It hurts so bad, but you didn't want to look like you were trying too hard putting both straps on. And even today, I see on Instagram, apparently it's still in vogue to not try hard. People, their favorite pastime is can't evening. I can't even, I can't even, I can't do this, I can't, I can't even, and I just don't care, I don't care anymore. My give a care is just maxed out, I don't care anymore, you know, I just can't. And it's like, wow, the devil would glorify not trying. If you want to leave a legacy, the last step in commitment is once you commit, once you give up your freedom, once you ask the right questions, you got to go all out. I love the way that Paul finishes this up, favorite verse, whole chapter, maybe the whole book. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, four words that should change your life. So run to win. Oh, I love that. Run to win, baby. I got a big question for you. If you zoned out, if you're thinking about rocket ships and what you do if ninjas would break into the room, tune back in to this right now, okay? Tune back in right here. I'm gonna ask you a question. I want you to answer it in your mind rhetorically. What percent of your life are you running to win? What percent of your life are you really putting everything on the line? You are going all out. So I think the sad reality is for most of us, the answer is zero percent. 
The last time we went all out was when we ran the mile in sixth grade, right? I mean, for a lot of us, we don't try as hard as we can in anything. We just kind of whatever, and I can't even with my marriage anymore. I've had it up to here with my kids. I got to paint my nails and put the SpongeBob DVD in there because this is the hardest job on earth, and I got to whatever, and this is so whatever, and you know, with my job, I just can't with the mill, and you know, and the change of management, and Cleveland Cliffs now is whatever, and the bonus, and the whatever, and I can't even with my vacation days, and it's just, ah, oh, and we just drag through life, and we're not trying at anything, anything, and I can't think of a faster path to being dissatisfied. God made you to roar at the world, and how many of us are really roaring in our life? How many of us bring the full capacity of our passion, effort, emotion, and focus to bear at any point in our day? For most of us, it is zero percent. God made you to commit, to go all out. For a lot of us, we don't do it because we're afraid of failure. And if we bring everything to bear and we fail, then we just can't whatever. For some of us, it's because we just don't care. For some of us, it's because we're lazy. But God made you to do great things with this life. And if you want to do great things, you got to go all out. Commitment means three things. It means giving your freedom up for something better. It means asking legacy questions instead of selfish questions. And it means going all out. Years ago, right after I gave my life to Christ, I listened to a sermon by this now very old pastor named John Piper. And he said four and a half words that changed my life. He said, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life on silly things with silly goals, with things that aren't worth committing to. And it pierced my heart because I realized I had so much indirection in my life, so much just numbness in my life. I realized that committing to nothing is still a commitment to something. Committing to nothing is a guarantee to ebb the potential of my life away as I waste my years. I want to commit to something. I want to roar at this life. I despaired at the thought of my life passing me by without trying as hard as I could at something. Because we're going to lose it all no matter what. We all go out of the world through death. I want to tell you about some friends of mine. Um, their names are Kyle and Mindy Coates. And um, I met Kyle and Mindy about seven and a half years ago. I was in downtown Chicago. I hate Chicago. I don't know why I was at. It's just so stressful. Every time I go up there, like, my anxiety is through the roof. It's like, why do people live here? You know what I mean? Like, we have space still. You know, you can live so many other places. But I went downtown Chicago, and um, there were actually some mutual friends of ours, Kate and Brent Shabalski. Brent has been a longtime deacon, uh, and, and Kate is his wife. She's been a wonderful partner in ministry at this church for years. But um, we saw the four of them together, and they introduced us. And I remember, th I thought, this is such a lovely couple. I just prayed. I said, God, would you let them become Christians someday? Maybe even through our ministry, you know, seven and a half years ago. And uh, I knew that, Kate told me they, they didn't go to church. It wasn't a part of their life, never had been. And uh, I prayed for them then. Kate and Brent invited them relentlessly for seven years. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's such a long time. Can you imagine? It's like they're never, but she just said, I'm just gonna keep doing it. You know, I'm just gonna keep inviting them, whatever. During the pandemic, they started watching um, online and they started coming to church. And uh, they said last year before Mother's Day, they got in this, this big fight. Things were hard at home, and, and they just realized, I don't know if we're going to make it as a couple. And they come to church on Mother's Day, and they were radically saved. They gave their lives to Christ. They became Christians. Uh, they eventually took the next step class, and, and they got baptized. And, you know, they give and serve, and, and they're a part of our community. And every time we hang out, they will not stop talking about how wonderful Jesus has been for them. I mean, it's all, it's just on and on, you know, and Kyle's like, you know, if you would have told me years ago that I was going to give up my freedom on Sunday mornings, I'd say you were crazy. You know, Sunday mornings are a day to relax. We make breakfast. You know, if we want to go to the children's museum, we could do it. We get stuff. It's our free day. And he's like, I gave it up. 
And we have gotten something, I mean, so much better. And he just goes on and on. God's giving me purpose and all this stuff. I gave him my freedom for something better. It's so cool. And you should hear them talk about the plans that they have, the vision that they have for their kids, Brynn and Cameron. Oh, my goodness, you know, to see our kids grow up with purpose and hope in their lives. You know, to think that my grandkids are going to grow up knowing and loving Jesus. I mean, I just pray and hope that they have what we have. I mean, God has changed us. He's given us purpose. And we live life so successful, but apart from Christ. And there was no purpose in it. It was nothing. And Jesus has just changed it. It's just great to hear him talk about that. And lastly, this family is all out. I mean, they are committed. They never miss a Sunday. As for me and my family, John and Kristen Hill, we're committed to 50 Sundays a year. Even if we weren't pastors, that's what we do, you know. I'm committed to going to church 50 Sundays a year, this church, even though I could, you know, go somewhere else while I was on vacation, I'm coming here. That's what it means. And Kyle and Mindy have had a really similar commitment. I mean, they, they don't miss for anything. And uh, Kyle and Mindy own a, a large company, and the other day they had a job that was not going well. And he was doing like 13, 16-hour days. You know, he said, yeah, I'd get up at 4 in the morning. I'd go to work. I'd come home super late, long after the kids were in bed, get up at 4 in the morning, same thing. And a couple of weeks ago, they had a set of friends from church coming over for dinner on Friday. And... Um, he called his wife at four o'clock, said, Mindy, I know you got the meal ready. I know they're coming. I'm not going to make it. I can't. This job is just going so poorly. I have, to, I have to stay on the site. You know, and she handled it great. Ladies, did you hear that? She handled it great. That was, that's amazing. You know, because I don't know that I would necessarily always get the same reaction. Chris, just kidding. She handled it great too. But that is amazing. But anyway, um, he gets home late, you know, just in time to say goodbye to the company as they're leaving and gets up the next morning, Saturday, 4 a.m. to work all day, comes home late. Sunday, gets up. Ox is in a well. I mean, he has to work on Sunday. So he goes in, 4 a.m., and he's with the guys way up north. Come around 9 o'clock, he says, guys, um, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to church. I'll be back in two hours. This is what me and my family do, and this is what I do. And they can't believe it because, you know, this is their boss. I mean, he didn't love Jesus before this. They did, they've been watching him change, but he, he goes to church, and he just said he was so filled with life. He's like, it was amazing. I was like, yeah, what was amazing? He goes, the music just filled my life. I said, what about the message? He goes, yeah, it's fine too. And um, thanks. Filled with life, hugs his wife and kids, kisses him goodbye. I hadn't seen him all week, you know, but sits in there, has the word of God sown to his life. He's like, John, I was just filled with so much more hope and vision and direction. It just made my day. It made my week. It helped me understand that I have what it takes to get through this, that God has a plan bigger and better than this bad job that I'm dealing with. And he goes back and his employees are like, what's gotten into you? Like you would just leave. He's like, yeah, and he worked another 10 hours. He's like, you would just leave to go do this? I mean, why, what is, what are you getting? He's like, you don't understand, guys. I would drive to Indy every Sunday, every Sunday, if that's what it took to experience Jesus like I'm experiencing him in my life, my marriage, my family, my, my head, my mind, my anxiety. I mean, God has given me a hope for everything. He's going, he's going all out. They're committed, they're giving, they're serving, they're baptized, they're leading because of Jesus, because of a commitment to Jesus. And here's the challenge I have for you today. I'm heartbroken at seeing people waste their lives, not committing to anything. I want to challenge you to commit three things, three areas of commitment. Number one, I want to challenge you to commit to church. Commit to church. I meet people all the time are like, oh yeah, I've been coming on and off for the last two years, three years. You know, I go over here, I go to lots of churches, I go to whatever. Look, commit to a church. Build a community there. For the generations, pastors come and go, but a church is for the generations. Give your family the gift of a fountain of life in their community. Show them what it means to be somewhere through thick and thin. I'm tired of a culture that every time there's a conflict, we take our toys and go home. Stop that. 
Say, I'm committed to building relationships, building the kingdom of God through thick and thin for the generations. And don't go to five churches, go to one. I don't care if it's this one or Grace Point or Grace Fellowship or Calvary or First CRC. There's plenty of great churches around, but commit to one and say, ask for me and my house. We'll serve the Lord and we're gonna do it in this faith community together. And take a next step class if you want. We would love to have you say, this is my church. And I, I, I love it when people say, you know, I love what you're doing at your church. I love, you know, how great your church is, but I kind of hate it. What I wish people would say is, I love my church. I love this house. I love worshiping God here. That's what I want. Second thing, commit to a relationship with God. You know, so many people, God is like a spare tire. When the wheels come off, I've got that church there. You know, if I need it, if things go bad, don't do that. Commit to Jesus in the good and bad. Say, he's not just my God who's there for me if I need him. He is my Lord, my Savior, my leader, my forgiver. I'm all in with him. I am committed to him. So many of us, we never really commit. We never really do anything. We just kind of, you know, Jesus is there if I need him, whatever. No, all in. I'm all in with Jesus. I'm ready. I believe that he is who he says he is. I believe that he can do what he says he can do. I am a sinner. I need his grace in my life, and I'm ready to receive it and to live for it. If that's you on the back of your blue carts, it's a box you can check. It says, I'm all in with Jesus. At Grace Point, I know you have your cognate carts. Say, I'm all in with Jesus. I'm ready to follow him. I'm committed to a relationship with him. I want you to think about the legacy you're going to leave. Based on the relationship with God that you have right now, today, the way that you're following him, what are your kids going to do with their faith? What are you going to say to God when you stand before him in heaven? Are you actually committed to Jesus? For so many of us, the answer is no. I want you to go all out, which brings me to my third commitment statement. I want you to run to win in life. You know, I think there's a lot of us pre-COVID, we were all in. We were committed. And I think what has happened to COVID is it's, it's made us decommit from everything. It's made us start to live a little bit just non-committal. And I want to ask you, longtime Christians, I want to ask you, new to Christ, I want to ask you, exploring, to commit to run to win in your life. We only get one go around. Life is a mist here one moment, gone the next. It is so short. I can't believe that I'm a middle-aged man. My daughter's 10 years old. This life is going by so fast. I want you to run to win with everything you have. I don't want you to get to 80 and say, I never really tried. I want our church to build a legacy that we can be proud of, a legacy that echoes in eternity. I want us to roar at life and run to win. As we close, I want you to stand to your feet. All of our locations, Grace Point, Online, Hebron, DeMott Wheatfield, Jail. Can't forget about you guys either. Love you. I want you to hear these words. I want you to receive the timeless, transcendent, inspired word of God through Paul, 1 Corinthians 9.24. Don't you realize... Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. Let's bring it. Let's build a legacy we can be proud of. Let's try as hard as we can in all things. Let's commit to the best things, to the legacy things. I can't wait for the rest of this series, but as we close out this first part, let me pray with you. God in heaven, I thank you for your grace and mercy, which is totally sufficient. I thank you that you have built a church where no one's perfect and everyone's welcome. God, you are the only hope, and today we respond in the only way that makes sense. We are committed to you as our leader and forgiver, and we are committed to going all out for your gospel, for your namesake, for your glory. God, would you make us a people who build legacies we can be proud of? Would you make us a people who roar with everything we have at this gift of life that you've given to us? And Lord, I ask that for all of us at the end of this life, we could look back at lives well-lived from the perspective of ripe old ages, 
and we could see generation after generation that loves you. And we could hear you say, well done, good and faithful servants. God, help us to live lives that honor who you are and the truth of your gospel in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's sing this last song together.